Are you afraid of the dark? When I was a kid uh, in Chicago, it's common to have what's called a sub-basement, a basement that goes far deeper underground than a normal basement. And I remember one time I was down there, I don't know why, I think because the dogs like to hang out down there, and it was pitch black. Very few windows down there, and even the ones we did have barely peaked above ground, high up off of the floor. And I remember hearing, coming from the far back room, clear as day, my name being whispered. Now you can imagine as a kid, I just fled the room. I was done with that. I was not having any of that. And I ran up the stairs, and I always feared my name being whispered from the dark of the basement. To this day, of course, I know that there probably was nothing down there. It was just the wild imaginings of a young boy. And yet still, that lingering fear is often there. Have you considered your relationship with darkness lately? I don't mean the dark side of the Force in Star Wars. I don't mean the darkness of Lord Sauron from The Lord of the Rings. Or any story we tell where the darkness is an entity that must be fought where darkness is inherently evil, but instead, darkness. The night, the blackness of space, the absence of light, the absorption of light, of all colors. Shadows cast, the settling in of night, the stillness, the quiet. How would you describe your relationship to that darkness? Is it spiritual, earthy, connected, positive or negative? And what a time for us to be asking these questions of darkness, right? Last week we considered joy. Not just ha-ha-ha joy, slapstick, or mirth, but a joy deeper than that. A joy that sustains and guides, coupled with sorrow, grief, contentment, and so on. We are looking at what contributes to our wholeness as a spiritual community, our wholeness as individuals. Woe to anyone that thinks spirituality should only be happy sunshine. And woe to anyone that thinks it should be a bitter slog through life. Spirituality is the entirety of who we are. In this season of seasons where festivals of light pop up across time and cultures, I think it's worth reflecting on what's behind, what's surrounding, what's motivating these festivals where we kindle flames in the night darkness. I wonder if I can say this with assurance, but maybe I just need to say it and see how it feels and keep saying it over and over again. Darkness is the great creator of our festivals of light, our festivals of hope, but so much more than that. Darkness is the creator of our wondering, of deep wells of existential fear and freedom of home and hearth these winter nights, and all nights where we discover we are not alone in the enveloping dark. I know my heart believes those words. My mind wants to go deeper, deeper, and deeper still. I also just want to rest in this season of darkness, to enjoy the short days, to long for clear winter nights, to wait for the indescribable quiet of snowfall, to feel cold air fill and challenge my lungs with sharp pinpricks, little reminders that I am a fleshy, warm-blooded mammal. There is a depth to darkness, a depth where we can learn a great deal about who we are and who we dream of becoming, or even perhaps who we dread. 
Friedrich Nietzsche famously spoke of darkness, what he called the abyss, remarking, And if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. Without turning this into an exploration of Nietzsche, I do wonder if he looked into the abyss a little too long. Gazing into the abyss is just one response to darkness. And it is true, in a very abstract way, that the abyss gazes right back into us. If this abyss suddenly had a personality and could talk, what would it say? What would it see in us? And what could we learn? I don't think we need to wait. The abyss, the vast darkness of the universe, is not going to radio home anytime soon. But we can look at how human beings respond. We need not really look at Hanukkah or Christmas too much. They get a lot of attention this time of year. Though we can still note that both holy days come out of times in people's lives where there was great uncertainty and fear. The flames of Hanukkah were kindled amidst chaos and war. The star of Bethlehem guided shepherds to a newborn child under the threat of empire. There is more to discover with those two holidays, of course, and yet so much more around us that we may have missed. St. Lucia's Day is often blended with Christmas, a day that is celebrated throughout Scandinavia honoring St. Lucia, a martyr who died during the reign of Diocletian. Her story melds into Scandinavian pagan celebrations of the solstice quite nicely. And to this day, you see crowns of evergreen adorning the heads of girls with red sashes, white dresses, and candles in the crowns. And the candles recall the story of St. Lucia bringing food to persecuted Christians in Rome, wearing candles on her head to light the way through dark catacombs beneath the city. Shabi Yalda in Iranian culture, the night of birth in Farsi. Families gather, light candles, eat pomegranates, and read Sufi poetry to one another. It is such a delight that in so many Iranian celebrations, they often end with the reading of Sufi poetry. It's really beautiful. That day was originally a celebration of uh, the god Mithra triumphing over evil. And some Iranians stay up all night, waiting for the dawn, sitting in the night reading poetry. Interemi in Peru celebrates the solstice and the sun god Inti with mock sacrifices, fermented corn beer, and other celebrations geared toward Pachamama, or also known as Mother Earth. Soyal of the Zuni of Arizona is an all-night festival with the kindling of fires, dancing, and gift-giving. Pajos prayer sticks are made to bless homes and people and really anything that could use a blessing. Toji of Japan, originally a festival for farmers, sees massive bonfires. Imagine this. Massive bonfires dotting the sides of Mount Fuji, awaiting the sun. All the while, people take warm baths with yuzu citrus in the water. So many of these festivals have a common theme, the return of the light. But not all of them focus on just the light returning. The burning of the clocks in Brighton, England, sees lanterns burned on the beaches to mark the passage of time and the immolations of hopes, fears, wishes, life itself in the flames. It is joyous, yes. It involves light, yes. But it is also against the backdrop of our mortality. Dongchi in China, a time to feast with the family, but also a time where the yin and yang, darkness and light, inch toward balance and harmony once more. 
and Montal in Cornwall, a word that means winter solstice in in the Cornish language, but literally it means balance. People carry torches throughout the Cornish countryside and villages, creating what is called a river of fire flowing throughout the villages and roads that culminates in what's called the chalking of the mock, the burning of the Cornish version of a Yule log, which becomes the immolation of Father Time, the death of the year. In those last three festivals, the burning of the clocks, the Mantal Festival, and Dong Chu. It's where I, this time of year, I find myself turning. Yes, I will still light candles in the night. I will still look up at winter stars. Many of us will still relish the moonlight reflecting off of fresh winter snow, if it comes. We'll kindle a fire. We'll pour a cup of hot cocoa, string lights, decorate a tree, give gifts. Those are ours to partake of if we want. And yet, in Dongchu, I am reminded of balance, of harmony. I'm reminded that the light is not the only good. That darkness is not an evil thing. That equilibrium is the goal of a good life. That we are invited to feast on the light, but also draw in the darkness. Because we are not beings of light alone. With the burning of the clocks, I feel my heart being especially pulled. Bonfires dotting the shores of Brighton, people carrying their hopes, their fears, their wondering, whatever it is they need to give to the fires. And embers floating upward and disappearing into the darkness of night. In Montal, another festival of light, with its river of fire and the cremation of another year now past. It's more of a funeral celebration than anything. Life, death, and balance. Those three celebrations and so many more, they don't just celebrate the light, but they bring in the darkness. They are not bonfires roaring in the night to defeat the darkness, but expressions of balance. Yes, the yin and the yang. Yes, giving our hopes and fears to the night. Yes, the light and the dark are both good. Looking to our own oft-noted common celebrations here in the United States, Hanukkah, Solstice, Christmas, Kwanzaa, we talk a great deal about the light. But I wonder what balance looks like. The recognition that darkness can teach us as much, if not more, than the light. A quotation I love dearly from the poet Henry Vaughan sums up my thoughts on on darkness. He writes, There is in God, some say, a deep but dazzling darkness. You've probably heard me lift up that quote often. Not dazzling in the way we might think. No sprinkles of glitter or confetti. But think on it for a moment. What is a dazzling darkness to you? What does that look like? And what can you discover there? There's a koan from the Zen Buddhist tradition that I especially love that relates to this. It it simplifies the feeling in the Henry Vaughan poem. It goes like this. In the darkness, darken further. There it is. Deep but dazzling. And go further. Let it embrace you. Let it fill your lungs and go deeper still. And so why bring up these festivals of light, these festivals of balance, these festivals where darkness is brought in, where light and darkness are our teachers? My answer could only... Really, it could just simply be this, right? 2021, also known as 2020 Part 2. 
the second year of this pandemic. And I fear that we're looking at a 2020 part three. Cases rising, New York has its highest daily case count ever, the ICUs in Michigan are overflowing, and oh, Brian, enough, enough, Reverend, about this pandemic, right? I didn't make it happen, right? It's life, it's there, let's talk about it. And let's not even begin talking about the real and present threats to our democracy. I find myself scrambling to find a way to hold on to a tangible hope. What can I do? What can we do? And there are answers. Surely there are still. And here's the gift of darkness amidst all of this. The darkness creeps in. Night settles. The world quietens. Perhaps there are stars shining still, but the dark edges of life are far more prominent. And it's in that quiet, that settling, that darkness, a darkness we are reminded of this winter, this coming solstice, it's there we can truly reflect. If you're anything like me, this call to reflect, well, I've got some opinions on that. After two years of this pandemic, I really don't want to look inward much more. Let's just admit it. Let's just name that. I don't want to hear anyone else tell me that we're in a liminal time, an in-between time, and ministers are guilty of saying this often, where we're just waiting to discover something magical about ourselves and society. I'm tired of bad poetry about pandemics and Sabbath time. I'm tired of numbers climbing and numbers falling. I'm tired of new variants. I'm tired of trying to understand why pseudoscience and conspiracies are so prevalent in our nation. I'm at my wit's end figuring out what being a minister is, when most of what we are called to do is now dangerous. I'm angry. I'm furious. I'm scared. I fear for my loved ones. I fear for my well-being. My high ideals have cracks in them aplenty. How do I affirm the worth and dignity of everyone? when some move through the world in complete selfishness. And that's only principle number one. We have seven more to work through. And yet, there, right there, there we go. In the still darkness of my life, that is what I often hear. And it gives shape to the bewilderment of each day. It helps me understand the short fuse I feel for no good reason at all. And then, and then... Always, I still remember I am not alone. The darkness teaches me that too. In the poem we heard earlier from the poet Timothy Steele, as he is decorating his California house for the season, pondering palm trees in warm weather, taking note of the diversity of his community, he sums this up beautifully with this line. And he writes, And as the neighborhoods sink into dusk, the fan palms scattered all across town stand more calmly prominent. And this place seems a vast oasis in a holy land. This house might be a caravansary. Have you ever seen a caravansary in Africa or the Middle East? I've seen them in Anatolia, in Cappadocia, to be exact. Caravansaries are old, often ancient inns that envelop a central courtyard where travelers can rest, refresh, and connect with one another in the night. The winter solstice, the longest night, the celebration far and wide through time, 
The fires dotting the landscapes, the family meals, reading Sufi poetry throughout the evening, burning away our fears, hoping for balance and harmony, or simply resting, reflecting, turning inward, or discovering a dazzling darkness where all changes and yet nothing is lost, and we are not alone. That can be a caravansary for us. The tiredness and confusion I find when I turn inward gives way to balance. It does take some time, right? It can take a long time. We are not called to wallow on the darkest night, but to discover. And what I discover after I name all of the grievances, <laughs> and oh how I still want to fix the world, right? Many of us still want to fix this world and we have grievances aplenty. What they give way to is a renewed gratitude for what I do have for the people in my life and elsewhere that seek balance, harmony, and hope. And what this becomes about is really self and community care. And you can't take care of yourself, your family, or your community without first naming the difficult parts of life. And like in the Montal Festival of Cornwall, we name them and we cast them into the flames. We give them to the night. This church, this place, can be like one of those old Anatolian inns, those caravansaries, built around a courtyard of our common endeavors of community, of knowing we are not alone, because we do need one another. Just as the light can illuminate our many blemishes, right, and often confuse the way with its brightness, so too in the light we can still find joy and wonder and life. And the darkness in its inward pull, the deep reflection on who we are, who we are not, who we want to be, there is something dazzling yet to discover. And so no surprise, it's all about balance. Light, dark, yin, yang, day, night, illumined, darkened, and darkened further, outward and inward, and so on this longest night and the long nights and days that await us still in this world of ours, how do we rest in the darkness? How do we find gifts within it, just as we do on the bright sunny days? The NDN Collective, an indigenous-led organization in North America, whose mission is to educate, organize, and decolonize, and whose name is an intentional play-on and deconstruction of the word Indian, NDN looks to the winter solstice as an opportunity to reflect, to not fight the darkness, the quiet of night, but simply reflect and grow and contemplate. Writing on this, the NDN Collective notes, In this period of darkness, the winter solstice is an opportunity to go inward with deep intention, to care for our spiritual selves, our bodies, our minds, our loved ones and families, and to prepare for the longer days ahead. They recommend several simple practices for solstice. I'm not going to list them all, but really, they're simple, right? You hear these not just from the NDN collective, but you hear them from psychological communities and communities that are seeking rest and renewal all across our world. And they're a means to create an atmosphere of intentional reflection. And they're like this. First, slow down. Do you find yourself rushing from one thing to the next? Do you find your mind racing all over the place? Slow down. Reflect on the past year. You may not want to reflect on the past year, let alone the last two years or let alone the last 
week. Make some space to reflect, to process, to grieve, to cope, to heal. Give thanks, for there is still good to be found in our lives. There is still gratitude around us. There are still people doing amazing things, simple, beautiful things. Show people you care. There are people you care about, people you love. There's people you may not even know that you appreciate. Create. Let's not forget that we are beings. We are a people that love to create. Let art be our prayer. Let music be a song of praise for this wondrous life. Create. Write. Make art. Do something. Just create. Be creative. Make time for personal ceremony. That's an interesting one, right? What are the rituals in your life? The spiritual practices that sustain you, that affirm you, that help you grow, that help you make sense of everything around us. Light a fire. We're Unitarian Universalists. Lighting a fire is something we do at most meetings. Kindle the flame, however small, and just reflect and set intentions. Even though the year behind us was very difficult and the year ahead may be difficult still, we can still set intentions for ourselves, for our families, and for our communities. It's really as simple as that, the NDN Collective reminds us. The darkness of the winter solstice is not an opportunity to dwell in only the bad, but rather a place to reflect, to light fires in the face of any notion of despair, but to also be embraced by the dazzling night. How are you with quieting down, slowing down, turning down the noise in your life and looking inward? Does that unsettle you, or do you welcome it? Is it the dark you're really afraid of? Or you might wonder and question about yourself, life, everything within the darkness, the quiet, the night. May you find a deep and dazzling darkness this winter solstice. May it be so. Amen.